fired. Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we are here this week for 1994's True Lies. Huge movie. Huge. Tony, where were you in 1994? Well, if I remember, I was probably awkwardly going through high school, but I remember awkwardly really enjoying this movie. <laughs> How about you, Cameron? No, I actually remember really vividly going to see this because this was one of the first movies in the summer of uh, 94 where they had digital audio in theaters, at least in the theaters around us here in Vancouver. Did I go see this with you? No. No, I went with uh, my friend Mark, our mutual friend Mark. Mm -hmm. And I remember the theater at the time, like none of the theaters really knew how to use digital sound very well. Like they hadn't adjusted. They had it cranked so loud that every gunshot left you like deaf. So I like that. It's really memorable to me because I remember just being in agony for two and a half hours straight, but loving every minute of it. So you got your money's worth. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had a great time. I mean, this was this was one of my go-to movies growing up. I remember we taped it off, I think, pay-per-view, and I used to just watch it over and over and over on VHS. How many times total do you think you've seen this movie? Oh, maybe a dozen, and then I probably haven't seen it for 10 or 15 years. Oh, so you were revisiting... Uh, yeah, this is like a flashback to like my teenage years. It's like getting back together with an ex. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Like, What was your relationship with True Lies? I think I'm in the same boat. I watched it several times. I remember uh, really thinking, man, this is a really good movie, but I hadn't seen it for a few years either, mm -hmm. so it was great to, to come back and, and dust it off. So Tony, before we start, before we dive into this episode, what is True Lies about? In this film, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a spy, Harry Tasker, who's been hiding that fact from his wife, Helen, for 17 years. Uh, and the film is about him going out and fighting terrorists, uh, while at the same time trying to deal with a lackluster marriage at home. Mm, that old chestnut. Yeah. Helen, of course, spoiler alert, gets dragged into the spy world and hijinks ensue. This was a really special movie in a lot of ways because Arnold Schwarzenegger at this point in his career was coming off of Last Action Hero. So that he took a real hit from that one. And this was his comeback vehicle, was signing up with this. And for James Cameron, I mean, if you think about it, this was really James Cameron's last action movie. Because after this, he would go on to Titanic and then to Avatar. This was his last sort of physical, you know, action movie with actual actors as opposed to Blue Cats. Well, it's funny you mention that because this, in some ways, even though it's 1994, mm -hmm. I kind of think of it as um, the last 1980s Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah. Um, where, you know, he, he kind of hit his career uh, peak with Terminator 2. Yeah. Then he did Last Action Hero, mm -hmm. uh, and which was a flop. Yeah. And then he did... Um, An infamous one. Yeah. Yeah. And then he did... Uh, this one, and he followed it up, and all, all of his movies after this one never really uh, captured the same kind of box office or critical appeal. Yeah, or just in terms of general popularity. Like, people don't talk a lot nowadays about, say, Collateral Damage or Eraser. 
Well, I wrote down uh, all of the movies he did in order after this one. Yeah. Uh, which were Junior, Eraser, Jingle All the Way, Batman and Robin, End of Days, Sixth Day, Collateral Damage, and then finally Terminator 3. I think he had some uh, right. success again with. Yeah, Terminator 3 was definitely a financial success. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't like Arnold's final hit, but it was, I think, the last respected one. Like, I don't think people really respect Terminator 3 that much. No, and they certainly don't respect uh, Batman and Robin. Yeah, no, definitely not. And I mean, um, this movie was the number uh, three. It was number three at the box office for the year it was released. Mm-hmm. It trailed behind, like, number one was Forrest Gump with $330 million. Forrest Gump, what's that one about? <laughs> and second place was The Lion King with 312 That's about the uh, lion that becomes a king, right? That's right. It was based loosely on Hamlet. Oh, I see. Yes, yes. And then, you know, you got quite a drop, and then you get to True Lies at 146. But 146 in 1994 was serious money. I know for I know that True Lies at the time yeah. had the highest production budget of any movie ever made. Yeah. It was the first movie to uh, have a more than $100 million spend on it. Right, until Waterworld the next year. That's right, and Waterworld yeah. blew it out of the water. Of course. Uh, yeah. No pun intended. Literally, <laughs> sorry, I'm uh, getting ahead of myself here. Uh, and the real success of this movie was, I mean, it was R-rated, and it opened, or it made more money than the movie that was perceived to be, at the start of the summer, what was going to be the runaway freight train of the summer, which was the Flintstones. <laughs> and like <laughs> that train certainly got derailed that movie do you remember how hyped it was yeah I, I think i remember drinking several mcdonald's beverages out of flintstones cups i remember in the summer of 1993 going to see jurassic park as everyone did that summer and having that opening teaser for the flintstones because they're like next summer spielberg presents the flintstones and people were talking about the flintstones yeah so i mean 1994 was a Big year for Roseanne alumni. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and it, it falls right at that fortuitous time where it's obviously audiences wanted kind of a big Schwarzenegger blockbuster, but also James Cameron, you know, he was coming off of Terminator 2. So for him, this was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to do kind of a James Bond kind of spoof. And this for James Bond felt a special time too because. James Bond had been mired in lawsuits since 1989, so we're spoiled now, but there was no James Bond movies being produced at that time. It wouldn't be until the next year in 95 that Goldeneye would come around. It was, was Living Daylights, was that the last one? Or no, it was Licensed License to, to Kill, Kill in 1989, yeah, I'm, and it was a bomb. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm curious because um, I was trying to place the, the villain, Art Malik, yeah. um, from uh, True Lies, uh, and he was also the uh, the head of a terrorist sect in The Living Daylights. Nice. James Bond connection, of which there are several in this movie. But I remember as a, when I saw it, I was very excited to see James Bond action because at this point in my like age range, like I had never seen a James Bond movie in theaters. I had grown up loving them and watching all the Roger Moore ones and the Timothy Dalton's at home, but I had never been quite old enough to see one in theaters. Uh, because I wasn't going to see License to Kill, which was obscenely violent, when I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, I'd always wanted to see a James Bond movie in theaters, but that dream, I, I just didn't even know when James Bond was ever coming back. So this was, like, really filled that sort of void for me. Like, I was so excited to see grand-scale James Bond action, you know, on the big screen. You know, when you mentioned it, though, I actually didn't know this movie was rated R. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really goes to show you how standards have loosened a little bit over the yeah. over two decades. Yeah, like, there was enough violence in it, 
uh, I think, to, to earn the R rating. Because, you know, you see, like, blood spray on a windshield, like the guy shot in the head, things like that. Mm-hmm. That's really the only difference between this movie's R rating and the PG-13 rating of now. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And most of that you can just see on television these days. Mm-hmm. 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 So, Tony, revisiting this movie, what was your take? You know, it's a 1994 movie. Does it feel dated at all now? Well, I think probably the biggest thing about it is what I find about uh, any kind of movie that deals with uh, terrorists Mm -hmm. pre-September 11, 11. uh, you can really tell that they they, they were more liberal with their caricatures of unshaven, bald terrorists um, from, you know, a a nameless nameless desert country. Yeah, they said they got, was it the weapons from Kazakhstan? That, oh, that's right. That was the only, re- but they didn't say they were from Kazakhstan. No, yeah. so so um, you know, I actually find it holds up pretty well. The action's still pretty exciting, mm-hmm. uh, but the 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 themes are maybe uh, <laughs> not as not as current as they maybe once were. It's funny because the window for like Middle Eastern terrorists being kind of the go-to. Pretty small, really, because you see even in, in like what 1989, 88, um, you see like uh, in Rambo three, he, like he's teaming up with the Afghanis to fight the Russians. Like the Russians are still kind of the mm-hmm. in vogue villains, and James Bond is teaming up with the Afghanistan people too in uh, in uh, Living Daylight. Didn't Cameron write Rambo three? Uh, Rambo two. Uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so like you know we get the Af- these very simple kind of cartoonish Afghani villains. For really only a handful of years before it's suddenly like, you know, let's stop that. Yeah, let's cut it out. Let's uh, <laughs> let's go find some white people to be the villain. Yeah, yeah. I one thing I think that hasn't aged in this movie at all is its gender politics. Uh, I don't. I, I don't even know <laughs> if. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a pretty misogynist movie when you get right down to it, but... Um, is there a woman in this movie that isn't portrayed in some sort of unflattering light? Um, at a certain point, at least. No. <laughs> but there's only three women in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, two women and a girl. Yeah, right. So, yeah, no, I, I would say that that certainly this movie is not... One to be playing at your next feminist convention. The Jezebel website is not holding this up as one of their favorites. No, I, I'd say, <laughs> and probably justly so. I mean, it's not particularly offensive, but it's also not particularly um, throwing off the shackles of 2,000 years of patriarchy. <laughs> the word bitch is thrown around a lot. <laughs> and a lot of slapping women, too. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed, but I feel like at this point... This is not one of James Cameron's more remembered movies. Like, generally, you know, I in the years since, I've gone to see revival screenings of Aliens, Terminator 1 and 2, you know, Titanic even. Uh, the Abyss. I, uh, I haven't seen The Abyss in theaters. That's mm. the other one. But I feel like this and The Abyss are kind of a little more forgotten. I think Abyss is maybe even more remembered, though, because it had that director's cut that is so loved. What about Piranha? Well... I don't. I mean, they did re-release Piranha on DVD recently. I don't think they've done that for uh, True Lies. Do you think it's because of the politics, or do you think it was because it was more like? I mean, for James Cameron, this feels, at least on the face of it, a much simpler movie than everything else he did. Really? I um... not not technically. I mean, more in terms of the stories trying to tell, in terms of the ideas. 
Uh, I don't think so, and I actually don't necessarily agree with you. I mean, I think that when people talk about uh, Schwarzenegger movies, um, mm-hmm. True Lies is one that comes up a lot. That's true. Uh, you know, it doesn't. Uh, it, it's no Terminator Two, but it's uh, no Red Sonia. <laughs> and it's no Terminator Salvation. Yeah, it's no Red Heat. <laughs> I can't wait to get to Red Heat because that's one I watched way back in the day. I watched it once and I have like zero memory of it except for one moment. I don't remember much about it. It's, it's another one I've only ever seen one time. So. I just remember the gun that could slide out of the guy's like sleeve. You're ruining it for me. I know. You're spoiler. Spoil- you're spoiling it for me. You're spoiling it for our listeners. <laughs> it's soiling green all over People again. People are just sweeping things off their tables saying, I don't even have to see Red Heat anymore. <laughs> but getting back to sort of the misogyny of the movie, I remember like it was kind of noticed at the time. Like uh, I remember, I think Gene Siskel uh, thought it was mean-spirited. Him or Roger Ebert, I can't remember which one of them. One of them didn't like it, the other one did. But um, it's interesting because this movie was based on a French film called La Totale um, that was apparently very, very similar. Uh, mm-hmm. There's details here and there changed, but like the Bill Paxton character was also a car salesman in that movie. But James Cameron chose this project to adapt, and I was just watching the film, really wondering, like, James Cameron movies had never had a history of misogyny in them. You know, he was known for actually really strong female characters. You know, you look at Ripley and uh, Aliens, he, he really made her kind of the tougher warrior woman kind of thing. He had uh, Sarah Connor in The Terminator, uh, Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio in The Abyss. And I was kind of wondering where this one came from. You were looking at me with a uh, certain expectation. What? No, I was just trying to think of other James Cameron movies. Uh, yeah. Um, Piranha 2? <laughs> yeah, I don't think... I think that one was probably a little misogynist as well. It might have been. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, Titanic? Yeah, yeah. So it's like James Cameron, you know... If you look across his filmography, even like Zoe Saldana in Avatar, very strong character too, why does this one feel weird? And I, just looking over his biography, I noticed that he went through a kind of ugly divorce in 1991, <laughs> 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 which would have been, you know, kind of within the year he's probably developing the project. And, you know, because I would think they would have been shooting in probably 93. So maybe around 92 he starts to... Uh, starts to uh, develop this project. And that was his divorce from Catherine Bigelow, of course, who would go on to make, you know, The Hurt Locker. And, at, you know, at the time, she was pretty uh, well-regarded, too, because she made Near Dark, which was right. fantastic. Well, uh, that's an interesting theory, Cameron. Yes. Um, so, Jim, if you're out there, if you're listening, let us know if this movie comes from Heartbreak. Was this, like, his therapy movie? <laughs> <laughs> I think that you might be feeling a little, reading a little bit too far in between the I lines. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Well, they, Does James Cameron seem like a man with ego to you? <laughs> well, I guess, I guess Jamie Lee Curtis does, by the end of the movie, mm-hmm. become a strong mm-hmm. uh, female protagonist. Mm-hmm. But it takes a lot of um, shrill screaming and getting slapped <laughs> and sworn at and stuff before uh, she really does become that. Yeah, yeah. But okay, let's get to more general thoughts on the movie because yeah, like I I really enjoyed rewatching this. I you know even though it's gender politics and racial politics are really outdated. Uh, I'm not someone who likes to just write movies off because you know they're quote unquote outdated. They were made within the time they were made. You know, yes, yeah, some will age amazingly, mm-hmm. but uh, you know I, I'm fine with the movie being kind of stuck in its time. But I, this is a brilliant example of like the '90s uh, action movie. 
Oh yeah, I think it's an awesome movie. Yeah, uh, it it really is. It um, right from right from the opening scene. Um, it's I mean it's a long movie mm-hmm. uh, for '90s standards, anyways. Yeah, but it uh, really holds your attention, and you really uh, it really blows a lot of things up. Mm-hmm. And speaking of blowing it up, um, this was really kind of in the last gasp of like practical models. Mm-hmm. The yeah. model work in this is amazing. Like, I love all the destruction because it looks real. Like, this movie feels tangible. Yeah, yeah. No, I've always preferred the uh, the model work over the computer graphics, but uh, that's just pr- probably I'm just a, ch- a child of my era. Mm-hmm. Now, what is your favorite action scene in the movie? Oh, that's a tough call. Um, I really like the scene where um, he uses the uh, the gas line. And the Uzi to make a flamethrower. That's yes. all. That, that always stuck in my head. That was one scene I always remembered, and mm-hmm. uh, as being a, not only a great action scene in this movie, but just a great action scene. Yeah. Uh, generally. Yeah, because I mean, Arnold movies always had such like colorful, memorable action scenes. Mm-hmm. That it's at, and by the time you got to 1994, it was tough to compete to create one that really stood out among all the greats. What's your What's your favorite? I think my favorite is actually going to be the Florida Keys chase. With the limo that's out of control. Rewatching this movie, like, I remembered lots of the action going through it. You know, most of it was pretty memorable. I remember even, like, you know the shot kind of tying off of yours with the flamethrower? You remember they shoot the rock at him and he dives in the water and mm-hmm. swims underneath the fire? Yeah. Like, that shot was used so much in 1990s media. They used to, I remember there was a TV show here called The Movie Show. And that was in their opening credits. Like, I just saw that shot everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um... But my favorite really is that moment where he's trying to get Jamie Lee Curtis off the limo. He's hanging from the helicopter. That is one of, I think, the great stunt sequences, stunts slash effects of the 90s. I think, you know, Jurassic Park will always be probably held up as the number one because of, you know, what it accomplished. Yeah. It was very, like, obvious to say, well, we've never seen dinosaurs like that. We may have seen a guy hanging from a helicopter before, but I don't think you ever saw a mix of practical and technical elements as profoundly effective as this where it's something real world but there's never a moment where you're going you know that model looks a little clunky yeah no it is a pretty iconic scene mm-hmm. um the scene with the uh the whole scene with the him driving the harrier jet or flying the harrier jet for yeah. our pilot friends out there <laughs> <laughs> we have so many <laughs> that's right uh you can't drive a plane they're saying shaking their heads um the yeah, the, 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 there's a lot of urban carnage. Yes, um, there is. The and I'll say the actually now that we're on it. I mean, I I know I chose the the flamethrower one in haste. You put me on the spot, but the <laughs> the uh, the horse chase through the hotel. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as chase scenes go, uh, it's pretty great. Yeah, I mean, we had we ever seen Ar- Arnold on a horse? I guess we Con- had. Conan. Yeah, and Conan. Yeah, and Red Sonja probably. Mm-hmm. But it was. It feels weird to see sort of this Arnold on a horse. We'd never really seen kind of modern day action Arnold on a horse. Had we? <laughs> I think, now that I'm thinking about it, we'd seen Arnold on a lot of horses. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think. It's been a while since I've seen Red Heat. Well, at the time, this felt like a novelty. <laughs> but maybe I'm wrong about that. <laughs> we laughed out loud, though, like at the culmination of that big chase of the bad guy riding the motorbike off of the building into the pool. Yeah, that was great. It didn't look particularly realistic, but uh, no. I, I just love the fact that it really defined just how fearless Schwarzenegger's character is, because he just 
sees that guy and he turns around with his horse that he's stolen from a cop and, <laughs> and tries to make the jump too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was great and good horse performance too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who knows, maybe one day in the future we'll talk about more horse performances. <laughs> yeah, actually, I mean, the, the, whole, the whole movie actually, um, but for uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and the True Lies part of this True Lie movie with mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis... It really could have been a James Bond movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the opening very much is evoking Goldfinger. With him coming out of the water in the wetsuit, you know, stripping off and having the tuxedo underneath. Putting on cologne. Yeah, putting on cologne. And then that, you know, ties off with him running down those, you know, snowy wood uh, woods hills. And being chased by people on skis with, motor, <laughs> there's, there's with a, machine guns. There's always guys on skis. Yeah. And they're always trained on how to fire machine guns and ski at the same time. But that which is very Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of classic Bond elements. But what I liked was when I was watching or rewatching that scene, I was really picking up like, oh my god, this is really heavy on Bond homages. But I like that kind of from that point forward, once you get past the Charlton Heston briefing scene, the James Bond stuff is kind of, it's always there, but it doesn't play James Bond homages for the rest of the movie. No, you're right. It doesn't. But... Um... But it did remind me a lot of the kind of Pierce Brosnan era. Yeah. Um, and that might just be because it's another 90s action movie, and that's what the kind of movies they were making at the time. It could also be that this one actually had a, at least played a hand in raising the stakes of what an action movie should do. So by the time you get to Gold Goldeneye like a year later, and then going forward tomorrow Never Dies, they may have felt they had to raise the bar more than where James Bond had been before. Yeah, well, it reminded me a lot of Goldeneye, for example. Like yeah. the The scene, you know... Most of the action sequences and just how, you know, Schwarzenegger can talk, or he can speak several languages, yeah. he can fly a jet, he can ride a horse. There's really nothing this guy can't do. Mm-hmm. He has a direct line to the White House. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very true. Now, wh- what did you think of Arnold as the James Bond figure? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I thought he mm-hmm. um, I thought he did a great job in this movie. Would he blend in well as a uh, covert operative? <laughs> Well, he didn't do a really good job of blending in at any point in the movie, uh, besides speaking French to some chefs. Right. But um, pretty much everywhere he went, uh, he left nothing but corpses and destruction behind him. So, uh, which is another thing, I guess, similar to James Bond films, where um, there's supposed to be a uh, top secret agent, Mm -hmm. but you really don't think anything of invading dinner parties and blasting away guys making $15 an hour as security guards. Right. And one thing that I really liked that, about this movie, and this kind of separates it from James Bond too, is that James Bond is usually a solo act. You may get Felix later popping up to give some exposition, but other than that, James Bond kind of operates on his own. I like that in this, Arnold has his little team with Tom Arnold and uh, and Grant Heslov. And Grant Heslov, it's kind of weird now, but Grant Heslov has gone on to be a uh, Oscar-nominated producer He's George Clooney's business partner. The two of them run their own little shingle. And, you know, uh, Heslov produced Good Night and Good Luck. He, he did leather uh, Leatherheads. He does all George Clooney's movies. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, so it's kind of funny now to see him as third banana in this party. But w- what did you think of uh, the trio? I thought they were pretty good. I mean, uh, you're kind of standard <laughs> action trio. You know, you have uh, the Grant as the brain. Mm-hmm. Arnold is the frontline guy, and uh, Tom Arnold. Tom, Tom Arnold is the plucky comic relief. <laughs> it was strange, even in the '90s, to see Tom Arnold in this movie, 
Because I recall, like, I think he'd been fired off Roseanne. Well, his career, I think, was in the toilet. It was, yeah. So, like, for him to be cast in this was strange at the time, even though he'd really shone brightly on Roseanne for at least a couple years. Uh, Well, Sean Brightly is... uh, He was pretty great. He he was was pretty great, and he was a writer on the show, too. Yeah. Um, Through some of the best seasons. Yeah. uh, Well, I mean, what... He didn't last too long, or he didn't really put out too many movies after this that are worth mentioning like he well uh, I... <laughs> well uh, wait <laughs> yes uh, um i mean this has got to be his best movie oh wait, well is it <laughs> <laughs> yes are you gonna is. make a mikhail's navy joke or <laughs> i was gonna ask you actually of these of these five films i'm curious a which ones you've seen and b your rough opinions now tom arnold got <laughs> he probably the big did he get the biggest bump out of this movie out of any of them um, I think so. <laughs> probably. There's nothing nothing that a listener likes more than a trivia uh, <laughs> from one host to another. So, there was five films that really came in the, the wake of True Lies. What were these Tomorrow. five films, Cameron? <laughs> so, first up, we had, uh, we had Big Bully. Yeah? Now, did you ever see Big Bully? No, I can almost assure you <laughs> that the answer to every single one of these questions is going to be no. Okay. Car- unless Mikhail's Navy is on there, which okay. I did see. Next up, we got Carpool. No. Okay. Mikhail's Navy. Yes. It, you saw it? Yes. And? I didn't like it. <laughs> I, I saw, um, I did see Big Bully. Uh, it wasn't good. Uh, and then next up, we had The Stupids. I did see the stupid. I saw the stupid too. I kind of enjoyed it. I don't know why I watched it <laughs> because it didn't even play in theaters here. So like we actually made the effort to see it maybe on I, video. <laughs> maybe I rented it with you or something like that from the video store. I don't. I don't I, know. I think I watched it alone, which is all the sadder. <laughs> and then lastly, it was nine months where Arnold kind of got knocked out of the star billing spot. Tom Arnold. And came back as a supporting role in, uh, in the Hugh Grant comedy. I think that's probably his best movie, but it's still not good. Yeah, we have to be careful here, um, given that this is an Arnold Schwarzenegger mm. um, podcast. Well, we it's Arnie Gedd, Tom Arnold. That's this right. This is the segue. This that's... is where it becomes its own podcast. <laughs> that's right. We're branching off here. <laughs> we are going to do a whole line of Ar- Tom Arnold movies, right, at some point? Uh, oh, I, I certainly <laughs> hope so. I would say his brightest spot, though, I mean, taking it kind of back to True Lies, I think, you know, he brings a certain comic energy to this movie. Um, He's pretty funny in the movie. He is. Like, a lot of his quote-unquote, like, wacky dialogue is just kind of describing what's going on. But he does get moments throughout that I think are, I think some of his best ones are just, like, little behavioral things. Like, there's a moment where they're interrogating, (laughs) is it Jamie Lee Curtis? He just does his eye roll. Yeah. And it's there's no <laughs> emphasis placed on it, but it's really funny. Like I think we got the biggest laugh out of that. Yeah, he's he's definitely um yeah, he's definitely given the best lines. Uh uh I really like uh you know, where he's like I've got two words to describe that. Insane. <laughs> which I don't know. He's always at his best, Tom Arnold, uh which, you know, <laughs> careful what you say there you're committing tom arnold's always at his best yeah. he's playing an idiot <laughs> yeah i agree with that and you know uh, he's a guy who can spout the sort of the misogynistic jokes in this and you're like yep i believe it coming from tom arnold <laughs> oh he's just such a loser a loser in the movie I don't yeah know, yeah i don't have anything against tom arnold sure you don't <laughs> yeah um but it's funny because when you think about it and you, you, if you want to get philosophical, mm. um, 
Tom Arnold and Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. are really the only characters in the movie that are honest with each other. That is a good point. That is a very good point. Thanks. Anyway, one of them. James Cameron. James Cameron really believes in the bro code. <laughs> well, it's made apparent in this in this film. Yeah. So let's get to Arnold's better half, not uh, not Tom Arnold. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Now the the role of uh, of Helen was actually it's kind of fascinating because you know you see Jamie Lee Curtis in this and she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. She won a Golden Globe for it. Won a Golden Globe. Yeah, she was the only member of the cast, not Tom Arnold, to get a, uh, and a Golden Sa- Globe. And a Saturn. Right. The, the All-Valuable value, Saturn <laughs> yeah. Awards. Yeah. What, what, what is the Saturn even award? I mean, it, uh, is it like there was already four award shows going on and they had an opening on a Thursday? You're, and... you're implying the Saturn Awards are televised. <laughs> <laughs> I believe they're sort of like genre awards. Like they, I think usually honor sci-fi, but I guess... They did. I guess maybe they've expanded to more like action stuff. Maybe it's just genre. So, so basically, basically, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. But I believe it is. I believe it is sci-fi because I think Star Trek used to be famous for like getting a lot of Saturn nominations. Mm. So, um, but so I'm looking over like the list of p- actresses uh, who were rumored for the character. First off, they wanted Jodie Foster. She was busy with Nell. That's right. That's right. She was speaking gibberish oh, in the woods. Is that actually right? Yes. That yeah. is exactly right. All right. She turned it down to do Nell. Good choice? Well, it didn't hurt her. No, I like Nell. I thought Nell was a good movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that she did fine. But the, So other actresses who were considered for the part. Rosanna Arquette, Annette Bening, Gina Davis, Madonna, Sharon Stone, Leah Thompson, Deborah Winger, Kim Basinger, Joan Cusack, Melanie Griffith, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Emma Thompson. Hmm. That is quite a list. You know, whenever you read those lists, like any yeah. t- any time you read who is considered for a role, yeah, um, in any of these blockbusters, um, I mean, how considered can they be? I mean, if I ever wrote a script yeah. about a gangster, I'd probably consider Robert De Niro, but he might <laughs> not be available. No, no, he'd be available right now. <laughs> He's making bad grandpa. <laughs> In fact, if you have a script, I could probably get it to him. He could probably be signed and delivered within a week. Perfect. <laughs> but Jamie Lee Curtis to me, like, you know, hearing that list, um, there's a lot of talent on that list. Mm-hmm. But Jamie Lee Curtis is so indelible in this part. And it's not like Helen is a character that has lived long in the world of cinema. But I think Jamie Lee Curtis in this movie is still really iconic. I agree. Now, do you think it's because of her role generally, or do you think it's because of her um, uh, Poindexter to prom queen yeah. transformation uh, at the midway point? They really bent over backwards to give her the most unflattering wardrobe in history <laughs> for the first half of this movie. Yeah, yeah. And then um, in the second half of this movie, it's... All cocktail dress and laughs. Just like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually really like the scene where she's going in that that hideous... Yeah. Uh, that is, she's walking into the hotel with that hideous dress and yeah. tears the sleeves off and tears the uh, the, the cuffs off. And, right. Uh, and what do you know? All of a sudden, <laughs> this, bookish, this bookish housewife becomes yeah. a, um, uh, a slender bombshell. It's funny because I remember in uh, seeing this in 1994. Like I was 
what, 13, I guess, when this came out. And I remember being very confused because, like, watching the movie, like, Jimmy Lee Curtis looked like a mom to me, right? Like, she, at the age of 13, she looked quote-unquote old, as anyone over 20 does when you're that age. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really kind of a little depressing to me that Jamie Lee Curtis, when she shot this, was my age now. Why is that depressing? It just does. I feel old and broken. But <laughs> Why? I think you should feel good that um, that women your age, Cameron, mm. uh, still are looking as good as Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, I'm not looking as good as Jamie Lee Curtis, so... <laughs> I think you look great. Thank you. Thank you. You do, too. Thanks, you're, pal. You're the tops. Feeling good, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, you know, the whole movie kind of being like, you know, she looked like an older woman to me. Through, the, through most of the early sections of the film. And then that scene comes where she's like stripping of the cocktail dress and wetting her hair back. And there was confusion in 13-year-old Cam's mind of like, uh, I, I, I don't know what to do with these feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I also, I remember feeling very hormonal as a young man watching that scene. But um, it's, yeah, but it's like in your mind, you're like, well, this is the mom character. Like, I'm not used to this. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that's what made it so effective. Yeah. There was something there for everybody. <laughs> now, I asked you after the movie, but how much do you think Jamie Lee Curtis worked out for this, for her big uh, pole dance sequence? Uh, my suspicion is that she was probably uh, eating a lot of grapefruits and cottage cheese and doing a lot of time in the gym. Yeah. Because... Um, she looked pretty pretty svelte for this uh, film. Yeah. I was reminded actually seeing her in this of, you know, two years later, Demi Moore would be famously or infamously in uh, Striptease. Mm-hmm. And it's that same look of sort of an actress who's in her mid to late 30s, just like coming out and being like, look at me, I look fantastic. Yeah, and she did. She looked yeah. super cut. It was actually funny how... Um, uh, Unlike, I, I mean, I'm trying to think of another Schwarzenegger film, because Schwarzenegger is usually a special effect unto himself. Yeah. Uh, and in this film, they didn't really focus on his uh, his muscles, and you know, uh, yeah. he, he was just a you know a competent spy that really could have been played by anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, maybe not John Goodman, but that's because <laughs> he was busy with the Flintstones. Little Van Damme. You know, sure, well, yeah. <laughs> maybe. Um, <laughs> But really, uh, once you hit that the cocktail dress scene in the middle, mm-hmm. the as far as the physical focus goes, it's on Jamie Lee Curtis rather than Schwarzenegger. Yeah, yeah, no, very much so. And I, I did not remember how many times like Jamie Lee Curtis like punches someone. Um, it happens quite a few times where she's like flipping out, or like when she's in the interrogation room, like winging that uh, stool <laughs> against it, and smacking like smashing the glass. Like, you know, James Cameron may have had his issues with sort of women at this point in his life that's your, that's your theory that's my theory possibly but um he still wanted like to show that jamie lee curtis could kick ass if she wanted to yeah and that which was um i thought was pretty pretty convincing I and mean, you were saying uh at the end of the movie yeah. i was saying yeah she became a spy that's cool and you were questioning her credentials but she she really showed that you know you think about it throw that throw that gal into a training program for Four sure. or five months, uh, along with a near smashing, chair wielding anger, oozy <laughs> dropping. Yeah, and you've got yourself a spy. I remember people at the time really didn't like that oozy dropping moment. Yeah, uh, it's me. I, I remember hating it. I remember Did you? Being, I remember it being the one scene in the movie where I was like, "Oh, that's just too far." 
You know, it's funny because I have a different one. So, like, why did that one bother you so much? Um, because, I mean, a lot of the movies, tongue-in-cheek and over-the-top, <laughs> but um, it was just so preposterous for her to, <laughs> to drop a machine gun down the stairs and have, uh, you know, a dozen terrorists get shot, but not... Yeah, uh, not the hero Arnold Schwarzenegger gets shot. Well, she scream. I remember also being very annoyed by her screaming right. in slow motion uh, while the while the machine gun went down the stairs. But um, yeah, but you know what? Watching it again, uh, I didn't mind it as much. Maybe maybe the the decades have just dulled the the, <laughs> the, the sensation. What was your scene? For me, actually, the scene is a smaller one, but it's the moment where Arnold, uh, you know, he's spying on her. Uh, you know, to do with all the stuff with Bill Paxton. And he's looking through binoculars and he's so angry that the glass in one lens cracked. <laughs> yeah. I remember as a kid hating that moment. Like, you know, 13, 14. Just, that to me was that cartoonish step too far. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. Um, But speaking of Bill Paxton, wasn't yes. he great in this movie? Yeah, and now let's talk about that whole section because this section was... The detractors who don't like this movie... This is the section that they point out is like the whole reason the movie doesn't work. Really? Yeah. Whereas, like, I kind of feel like it's the section that it, it's it's weirdly long. Like, it really does derail the entire movie. But it's also what gives this movie the I think the personality it has. Yeah. Well, I think it makes it like the movie is not just an action movie. Yeah. It's a movie about it's about, about marriage. <laughs> yeah, it's a movie about marriage. <laughs> <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth, Cameron. Yeah. Um, and Bill Paxton is just so funny. Like every, uh, he's just such a sleazy scumbag that, um, you, you can't help but find him funny. Uh, I, I'm actually a little bit, uh, shocked by how well he plays, um, <laughs> that just absolute worthless dirtbag car salesman character. Yeah. Like I loved him. Like how much do you think they spent on, uh, on a fake sweat for him because his character was always sweaty <laughs> in every single scene. I actually remember seeing the movie in the theater and being convinced um, in the scene where Schwarzenegger kills him while he's talking. Right. Breaks his nose. Yes. And then being like, wow, he just killed that guy. <laughs> me too. That conned me too. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, he was a real jerk, but he didn't deserve to die. <laughs> I mean, they do horrible things to him in this movie. <laughs> they really do. But I love how much, I mean, they really um, set him up as the ultimate. Like, you could tell, like, you know, there's a whole thing about uh, the Coen brothers have been accused so many times over their career of hating their characters. Mm -hmm. I feel James Cameron hates this character. Like, he wants to see him just made miserable in life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, like, there's that whole scene, like... You know, when we kind of get to see him through Arnold Schwarzenegger's eyes. Like, how, we laughed so many times in that sequence. It's just, like, all through um, Bill Paxton's, like, twitchy, awkward, like, weird anti-charisma and the laugh. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? And Schwarzenegger here, uh, he did a uh, a great job as the straight man. Yes. Um, <laughs> Arnold, Arnold's comedic, uh, comedic timing, comedic sense, I think, has always been undervalued. Mm -hmm. He's actually really funny, and he's, um, and he's funny a lot of the time, even when he's not delivering one-liners. Yeah. Um, and, and this is one of them. Yeah, I agree. Like, this was... I mean, in many ways, this became, I think, for me, like, the perfect Arnold movie when I was 13. Because it had all the 
huge effects that I was really into at that sort of time period, especially post Jurassic Park. Um, but it also had like all of the Arnold charisma that I had loved in movies, you know, like Running Man or Predator or whatever. But at that point in time, and I don't feel this way now, but at the time I would feel like I loved those movies, but they were kind of older and a little kitschy. Um, whereas this felt like this was the movie for me now, but, uh, me in 1994, but with all of the modern effects and the Arnold humor that's been evolved to a, a state of perfection. Mm-hmm. I mean, was this really maybe the last great Arnold as icon performance? Yeah, I mean, I think so. What else comes close? I mean, I, I enjoyed End of Days and I enjoyed The Sixth Day. Yeah. Um, but they're not iconic. They're generally forgotten. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess Terminator 3 is iconic by default. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, this is really the last great Schwarzenegger film. And the last, I think, really great movie star performance, maybe, from him. Like, the big, oversized movie star performance. Where, like, you know, he's got so many quotable lines in this. So many iconic shots of him. I don't know that, like, the movies that came after, and, like, I love a lot of them. Um, and, and at least like a lot of them ever match this one again yeah i wonder how much of that has to do with um quality of the filmmakers too um yeah you know he was pretty movie star and eraser uh, yeah but it just wasn't as good a movie right yeah still it's still enjoyable but yeah i mean even like uh the last stand which is fairly recent really tried to kind of restore him to the sort of mythic stature mm-hmm. but the movie itself is not one to really write home about well, we're going to find that yeah, out. Yeah, we'll find out. At least that was my take and the first time I saw it. it. I look all, forward to revisiting it. But. It was also my take on it the first time. But, yeah. But maybe it deserves a second viewing. Maybe. And obviously the Expendables movies, too, mm-hmm. uh, t- tried, especially with the second one, really went out of their way to kind of return Arnold to us as we remembered him. We'll talk, I think, later about whether <laughs> they succeeded. But at the time, I was like, well, you know, <laughs> it was... It's Arnold. <laughs> so, like, what else did you appreciate about this movie revisiting it? Hmm. One of the things I really liked in this film, mm-hmm. um, it, it was always it's always good to see Tia Carrera. Like, this is yeah, this is one of the movies um, where, because similar to Tom Arnold, her career kind of nosedived for a little bit. Yeah. She had that um, TV show Relic Hunter for a while. Yeah, but she was a rising star at this point. She'd just been in Wayne's World. Uh, and, and Wayne's, Wayne's World, World 2. 2, I think it... Well, she may have shot this before Wayne's World 2, because this would have been maybe a longer shoot. I'm not tough sure. To, tough to say. It would have been about the same time. Yeah, but I mean, this was her heyday, and she was she was all set to be, yeah. um, you know, a, a blockbuster actress. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what happened. Um, at some... Like, um, she just kind of fell off the radar. I'm trying to even remember what came after this slash Wayne's World 2. And I got nothing. I'm not sure. It's not like her career totally sunk. She just wasn't doing blockbusters anymore. Right? Yeah, no, and it's it's weird because I actually think she's really fun in this movie. Yeah, she's uh, definitely plays her part well. Yeah, she's like a really good sort of Bond-like femme fatale. Yeah, and I really enjoy like the uh, the the fight between her and Jamie Lee Curtis. I enjoy like I just like that they gave Jamie Lee Curtis a, a personal foe to fight too. And there's that great scene, which I'd forgotten, where um, Tia Carrera has the gun to Jamie Lee Curtis's head. And Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, punches her in the face with her ring. 
And then Tia Carrere unloads the gun, and the guy just, like, lifts it, you know, like, knocks it up, like, a split second. Like, Tia Carrere was mean in this movie. She was. She was, um, it's funny, because she starts off the film. Yeah. Uh, seeming kind of... Charming. Charming. Yeah. But yeah. she's not. No. She's ugly right down to the bone. Now, could you survive that limo going off the bridge into the water? Well, I think in a movie you could. Well, you think? Do you think in the back seat though? You might in, probably not the driver. Oh. Driver's already dead, but you don't think so. I'm not going to speculate on <laughs> motor vehicle ballistics. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to come up with a back uh, backdoor way to greenlight as True Lies Two with Tia Carrere returning. That's what I'm saying. Well, I think absolutely. Yes. Um, she could. Uh, she could come come in. She's probably available. Right. Um, I saw her actually at a. Uh, Vancouver Fan Expo a couple of years ago. She was here. She, she looked great still. Yeah. Yeah. What was she promoting? I don't think she was promoting anything herself. Maybe I think it was just like you know they, they do that. Like the Vancouver Fan Expo will have actors there who are more known for some of their past stuff. Must be nice. Yeah, and they'll just come and you know they'll do a panel and then they'll sign autographs and take photos and stuff like alan ruck was there one year um maybe that maybe maybe that's in our future cameron maybe uh, oh god help us maybe one day we're going to be going to the fan expo expo they're going to be introducing us former hosts of arniegeddon.com <laughs> quite people, possibly people will line up for 50 dollars headshots with us who do you think would have a longer line us or alan ruck um I think we should combine with Alan Ruck. Okay. <laughs> we'll split the money three ways. Uh, well, I think Al's going to take the larger share. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, you know, like, it is a bummer that this was kind of Tia Carrere's big sort of blockbuster coming out party and also the end of the road. <laughs> yeah. Well, likewise, Tom Arnold. Well, Tom Arnold at least got, like, five movies after this. Like, Star Vehicles. None of them worked, and none of them were good. <laughs> but, uh, but like, you know, Tia Carrere seemed to just kind of, I don't know, wind up eventually on TV. Well, I don't know. I don't know what she did after. I, I don't know I didn't. I didn't do my homework. I didn't either. <laughs> well, either way, she's great in this. Well, uh, join us on TiaGeddon.com. <laughs> Coming soon. It'll be a very short podcast. Yes. <laughs> About four or five episodes. Um... I want to talk a bit about, like, I really got a lot of enjoyment. You know, we talk about Tom Arnold and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I actually really enjoyed Jamie Lee Curtis and her co-worker. Well, that brief scene? Yeah, yeah. Like, I just like that those two had interplay, too. I almost would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that. You're right. I'm sorry. Three women and a girl. Yes. <laughs> I just love when Jamie Lee Curtis is going off to meet the elusive Simon. And, uh, you know, um, the co-worker's like, get some for me! <laughs> <laughs> I you know do you have friends that work like this that like cheer for your personal life? Um, no, I <laughs> I have no personal life to cheer for. So why don't we talk a little bit about maybe things that we didn't really care for as much this time, or or things that maybe didn't really lower the movie that much, but things that you think maybe weren't quite as up to snuff as the you know the effects in Arnold and what have you. Sure. Well, I mean. Um... We've already touched on the racism yes. and the misogyny. Right. Uh, the screaming, uh, the gun dropping down the stairs scene. Yeah. It's okay. But right. Could be better. 
your binocular smashing. Yeah. I'm really just going through a laundry list of things we've already talked about. Right, yes. I've got a couple. Um, one of them is, you pointed this out, actually. We, you know, the daughter being kidnapped. Ending. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they never really explained. Mind if I jump in? No, go nuts. Yeah. One, so they've kidnapped this spy, Arnold yes. Schwarzenegger. And they've got him on an island, and their intention is overnight... To torture him and his wife mm-hmm. and kill them both. Right. And then Schwarzenegger, through uh, a bit of daring do uh, and gas flamethrowers, uh, mm-hmm. manages to just annihilate all of the terrorists. Mm-hmm. Um, and then dawn, dawn breaks and Tom Arnold comes and reports to Schwarzenegger that the remaining terrorists are holed up in a building, mm-hmm. um, but they've kidnapped his daughter. Um but they never really explained. One, they didn't know where he lived. Uh, They're very resourceful. Two, they didn't really explain what possible value she could have as a hostage if they were going to torture and kill her parents. Yeah, especially because, you know, they're like, we need a hostage. It's like there's people in the streets all over the place. Well, that's it. And she seemed just like the most inconvenient hostage possible. And then they're in a building. They take over a building. Yeah. And she's the only hostage. Yeah. But do they just let all the other people go? Uh, it was a little bit. It was a little bit uh, too convenient. It sure forwarded a plot that involved a Harrier jet, so I can. Yeah. I can forgive it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But it was a bit of a. Uh, you could kind of drive a large truck through it. I am personally fascinated to know how much of this was assembled possibly without a script the last act of this movie reminded me a lot of the climax of die hard of the vengeance do you remember where jeremy um jeremy irons gets away like you know leaves um uh, bruce willis and samuel jackson on the boat and they go to nord ling yeah that whole ending where they track like a prescription bottle or something like that yeah and it's like Suddenly they're at the Canadian border or something shooting out. And it's like, what the hell's going on? Samuel Jackson's in a helicopter cheering like, go McLean, go! <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, how did we get from there to here? I feel a little bit like... This one isn't anywhere near as egregious as that. Like, I don't... That one, I actively hate that ending. This one, I don't... I actually, you know, I mean, there's so much great stuff with all the Harrier jet and all that. Like, I love it all. But I am pretty sure this was some really rough patchwork to mm-hmm. put this together. Because... There is a scene where um, Tom Arnold is kind of explaining what's happened. And I noticed the first for the first time ever tonight was that it's only showing the back of his head as Arnold mm-hmm. is taking all this information in. And I'm pretty sure that's ADR. Like, I feel like this was a, uh, maybe a script issue that they tried to kind of patch over with dialogue. Because it makes... Yeah, it's like you said. It makes no sense why they would go to all this effort to grab his daughter when their plan is to nuke a building. Like, it's, it seems like a really unnecessary risk. Yeah, especially when you plant her down right next to the detonator key. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I just wonder if there was... I don't know if there was reshoots with this thing. I don't know. Like, I could it possibly have been there was no daughter originally in the climax, but they realized that they needed some sort of connection for arnold to be there fighting for i don't know i think they were worried that um arnold was going to go through a movie without his daughter being in peril (laughs) yeah yeah i was actually a little bummed actually 
Speaking of daughters being in peril, I was that Alyssa Milano didn't play the daughter. Similar to that, it was actually when Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, has the scene where like Arnold kills all the guys. She goes, "I'm married to Rambo." I was really bummed she didn't say, "I'm married to Commando." I thought that would have been great. (laughs) Well, I guess James Cameron. uh, Sure, um, sure. Yeah, I thought um, one of the one of the uh, more cringeworthy lines in the film was actually when uh, Schwarzenegger and Tom Arnold. I see his daughter stealing uh, stealing money from Arnold's yeah. jacket or something like that, and um, Tom Arnold says oh, she's probably stealing money for abortions <laughs> and drugs. Yeah, and then he uh, says, "Do you think she's still a virgin?" It's like you. Yeah, the conversation drags on a little, a little too far. <laughs> but anyways, they moved on yeah. from that scene, and yeah. the movie became uh, pretty pretty good there is also you know talking about kind of the weirdness of james cameron and i love the james cameron this i think actually might make this movie even more more interesting is the weirdness in it like had this movie been completely like you know none of the misogynistic issues none of the racial issues etc maybe it wouldn't be quite as memorable it's like the the weirdness like i feel like james cameron's personality is so strong in this movie it gives it a lot of a lot more personality than a lot of the action movies of the 90s um but there was one thing I really noticed this time, too, is there's a lot of weird phallic stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, there was. You have, like, um, you know, Bill Paxton keeps <laughs> talking about his <laughs> minute genitalia and how pathetic it is and so forth and keeps wetting himself. And then there's a scene, which I had never noticed before, where uh, Art Malik, the villain, is flying out of a way in a helicopter with a nuclear missile. And he's sitting atop the nuclear missile, so it looks like a penis. Well, it is a uh, <laughs> it is a metaphorical penis, of course. It is. So, is this movie trying to state that Arnold has the largest penis of anyone? I think that's what every Schwarzenegger <laughs> movie is trying to state. Is that what the Harrier jet represented? <laughs> Except maybe Junior. <laughs> was was that what the Harrier jet was at the end? <laughs> I don't want to get too far in, in, into a phallic breakdown. <laughs> of true lies but it's there it's definitely there it's as there as like the penguin character in batman returns i mean oh boy Any, anyways um yeah no there is a lot of um hilarious phallic imagery there is a lot of um uh, in your face references to the fact that dudes in hot sports cars are uh are tiny Tiny penis losers in the sack. <laughs> and actually, speaking of the, the loser in the car, um, there's a scene where, you know, the, the helicopter is following, um, you know, the, the, the sports car driven by Bill Paxton. And he's holding um, Jamie Lee Curtis just kind of head down. And there is a helicopter pilot who says, she, yeah, she's got her head in his lap. Yahoo! That, ladies and gentlemen... Mr. James Cameron. That's right. We called him and asked him, and that's what he told us. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. We found that on IMDb. Yeah, yeah. So, did this movie make you at all bummed to just see, you know, uh, James Cameron's technical prowess in this movie? Uh, You know, with models and all this type of real person effects. And the cinematography was actually awesome. Yeah, yeah, great. Did it make you all at all bummed, though, to know that, like, I mean, this he's not doing this shit anymore. Like, he has lined up something like four Avatar sequels. He says he never needs to make another non-Avatar movie again. Yeah, but, I mean, he could have said that about The Terminator. 
you know, he yeah. could, he could have said that about Titanic. Sure. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure as as ridiculous as it sounds, he could have cranked out five Titanic sequels yeah. where they just keep yeah. bringing that ship up from the bottom and driving into more icebergs and right. it would have sold billions of tickets. Sure, sure, but I mean, it does bum me out that like James Cameron has kind of let go of this practical filmmaking. Like he's moved on to this all digital stuff. I mean, like I don't if if they announce tomorrow they're going to make True Lies 2 with James Cameron, I'm far more excited for that than I am for the four Avatar sequels currently in development. That's right, although I did really like Avatar. Did you? Okay, yeah. interesting. I thought Avatar was a great movie um, for what it was. I thought, mm-hmm. um, you know, as much as I turned my nose up at, uh, up at it as a, as a younger man, um, Titanic is actually a really good film. Uh, film as far as filmmaking goes. Yeah, I love Titanic. Titanic, yeah. uh, I think, is a great um, film. Could use more Arnold Schwarzenegger, but... Uh... It's too bad they didn't cast Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Stephen Lang part, which was originally rumored to be what he wanted to do, but uh, Arnie was too busy with politics. In... So you, in the first Avatar. Oh, I see. We have Arnold Schwarzenegger as the villain in that movie. Oh, that would have been great. Yeah, it could have been. Um, Stephen Lang was great, but mm-hmm. Arnold would have just had been... A little bit of extra charisma that wasn't supplied by the lead in that movie. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, it's good to see um, all of the people. Um, well, not all of the people. Some of them aren't really doing that much. But see um, Cameron, who uh, who I love and who has collaborated with Schwarzenegger three times, I guess now. Yeah. Um, and then Schwarzenegger as well. Um, both of them are kind of moved on and are mm-hmm. doing, um, to some extent... Uh, different more current films right um next week we are um doing our podcast on maggie which um from what i've read about it just looks um looks great yeah yeah i'm really anticipating to see kind of what arnold does with that kind of material i just want to see him cry yeah me too me too now at the time there was a lot of talk sort of in the wake of this movie's success about a true lies 2 and I would say the person keeping that rumor going the longest was Tom Arnold. But, like, I mean, I, I swear, even up until about probably like three or four years ago, he was talking about True Lies too. That's like Alex Winter getting on the phone. Yeah. Keanu! Keanu! <laughs> you wanna... George Carlin's gone, but uh, maybe you and I could get together and talk about Bill and Ted 3. Alex Winter still talks about Bill and Ted 3. He's still <laughs> pushing for it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like, do you think... I don't know, like, as a kid... You know, as a 13-year-old, I want to see True Lies too badly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Watching it now, I'm like, I, you know, I, I kind of feel like this one really, it ends on a good note. Like, I don't know that I need to see the adventures of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis in the field. Yeah, I think if they were to make one now, I don't think it would really work. I mean, it would be pretty sad, I think, at this point. Yeah, it would <laughs> It would be like Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> <laughs> Where Sean Connery came out of retirement at what fifty four, and I think he was only forty. Oh really? (laughs) (laughs) The one where he came out late again in retirement was uh, he did the unofficial Bond, um, Never Say Never Again. I think he was in his fifties then, (laughs) but he looked about the same age as he did at (laughs) forty. He aged terribly. Well, once he hit about forty, well. Yeah, he kind of stopped, you know, shortly after forty. But it was a it was a very fast run to forty for him. Yeah, and then, but whatever, we got Last Crusade out of that. That's right. That's right. 
which would lead to the kingdom of the crystal skull so it's all great (laughs) okay so i think that wraps us up for true lies tony where does this rank in your arnold schwarzenegger recommendations like if someone came to you and said name me an arnold schwarzenegger movie to watch would this be in your top five or top three uh, I don't think it would be in my top three, but it's definitely, um, it's definitely one of his his best movies. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely one worth worth watching. Uh, it might be top five, but um, but I'd, I'd have to think about that. I'd have to think about uh, what other movies kind of kind of come close. <laughs> Red Sonja. We shall see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. It's been a while since I've seen yeah. uh, Red Sonja, but uh, I think it's a it's a great film. Uh, all of the actors do a really great job. Cameron does a great job directing. Um, it's quite funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, the action scenes are awesome, mm-hmm. and um, there's really not too much uh, negative to say about it unless you really start uh, thinking about it too much. And who wants to do that? Yeah, what's the point? What's the point? What's the point? Let's just sit back and enjoy the ride. Right. Okay, so I think that wraps up True Lies. So you can reach me. Uh, I'm at uh, Cam V. Smith on Twitter or at CamVSmith.com. You can reach me, Tony G. Uh, I'm Tony G at ArnieGeddon.com. Okay, so we'll be back with Maggie. <laughs>